I feel God's distant. I feel dirty inside. And I know myself, I'm probably going to do some of these things again. You know, it's kind of like I'm in a pattern. I'm in this cycle and I can't get out of it. I'm going to end up doing those things again. And why would God want someone like me? I just can't believe it. Now, what, what would you say to Like, if someone said this to you, what would you say to them? I mean, this is, like, we have all this theology. We have all this, like, big picture stuff. We know what's true, what's real, what's right, you know? But all of a sudden, that's where it gets real. That's where it, like, intersects in the fabric of our actual lives. Like, this is where it counts, and I didn't know quite what to say, you know? I mean, it's like, I didn't take a class on this. And so I was, you know, and I didn't know what to do, but I, here's what I did, I, and it worked out okay. <laughs> but we just, I invited her on a journey. I said, what, what if we took a journey looking at God's word, and we actually started to see what he says is real about you? What, what if we did that. And I paired her up with an older lady who was, you know, down the road who could help kind of guide her down the path. And like, and we took, for over a period of time, there was just, it was just time exposure. And she began to start to dare to believe that what the Bible actually said was true. And here's, here's what I've discovered about God's word. It's God's word is like the plumb line. You know that kind of phrase, like a construction metaphor, they dropped a little heavy weight on the on the wire, and it forms an actual pure line of gravity straight up and down. It's, so you can frame according to the plumb line of reality and note that you've actually built this thing straight, right? God's word is the, is the plumb line of reality. And to mix metaphors a little bit, but it's kind of like our souls have like a scoliosis, like in our spine, right? And it has to be aligned to the plumb line of God's reality. And God's word is the thing that we come into alignment with. It's like a great chiropractic appointment, just right, line you back, line you back up. Sorry if that freaked any of you out there, but but it's that's what God's word does. It aligns us to reality, right? And the more that we can take our own thoughts and our own processing and bring it into alignment with what God says, the truer we live in reality, the truer we live in the world, and the truer we can embody all that Jesus wants to give to us. And what we're going to look at today is one of these passages that does that for us. It's a great chiropractic appointment, you know, and we line up and it's like, ah, this is right. This is how it's supposed to be. We have all this muscle memory that pulls us back out of whack, right? And so then we come back and we get aligned again. And so that's what this passage is for us today. And, and I know the theology in Hebrews is really high, and it's sort of erudite. It's way up here, but I promise you, this is going to come down and be very real for us today. So grab your Bibles. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 9 today. We're going to look at verses uh, 15 to 28 this morning. And uh, if you didn't bring a Bible and would like to hold something in your hand, like an old, like an actual codex, an actual book, I know it's weird, digital age, but an actual book, uh, you can pull it out. It's in the black, uh, it's the black book in the rack by your knees. You'll find today's reading on page 1006, 1006. And by the way, if you don't have a copy of God's Word of your very own at home, please just take that with you. It's our gift. We want you to have it. Uh, You can have that pew Bible, okay? Hebrews chapter 9, verses 15 to 28. If you'll listen as I read here, we'll also have the verses on the screen behind me. Therefore, he, that's Jesus, is the mediator of a new covenant. 
so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats and water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God has commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent, the tabernacle itself, and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus, it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified by these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters into the holy place every year with blood not his own, for then he would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared, Jesus has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man once to die, to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Thanks be to the Lord for the reading of his word. Now, I know, I, I know that there are easier passages in your Bible, okay? This, this is convoluted. It's a little hard to follow. I promise we're going to work through this, and it's going to make sense as we go. Very practical to our lives today. But before we do that, I want to zoom out. I want to look at the big picture. We need to get our bearings here in the story arc of what's happening in the Bible. So if we zoom all the way out, in the beginning, God made the heavens and earth, and he planted a garden, Eden, where Adam and Eve and he dwelled together, right, where he, the Adam and Eve had access to God. And so in the very beginning, you have God with humanity, together, close, relationship, connection, together. This was a good time, right? Genesis chapter 1 and 2. But then something happens. Genesis 3, what happens? What happens? Sin, the fall. Adam and Eve are tempted by the serpent. They're, they're tempted to be skeptical of God's goodness for them, that all the rules that God gave them, actually just the one rule, was there to actually, for their flourishing and for their goodness and for their health and happiness, they, they suspected him of hiding something, keeping something, and because they wanted the, you know, whatever God was hiding from them, they decided they were going to do their own thing, live life on their own terms, forget the rules, God, we're going to do our own deal. And they sinned against God. They ate the forbidden fruit, and this brought what is called the fall, the fall, the fall of humanity. And all of a sudden, God with man became no longer true. That God, the with got broken in the fall, and there's now a gap, a separation, a, a barrier, and it gets wider because Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden and sent into the wild, chaotic world. And the question is, how on earth will humanity and God ever come back together in relationship? This is the big question. 
And then along comes the first major arrangement that God made with a group of people. It was called the Old Covenant. I'm skipping over some things. I know I'm doing this. There were other things in there. Um, just but for the sake of simplicity this morning, let's go straight to the Old Covenant, okay? Uh, so we go to the Old Covenant. This is the, the covenant that was inaugurated through Moses, right? So God brought the, the, gave the Ten Commandments to Moses that he brought down from the mountain. And in Deuteronomy 30, we get a description of what that was like. We read this passage a couple of weeks ago. God said, see before you today, I set forth life and death, blessing and curse. If you live in obedience and faithfulness to me, you will have life and you will endure in the land and I will watch over and protect you and everything's going to be good. But if you fail, if you sin, if you reject me, if you, if you go after and worship foreign gods, then the curses will fall. And so it's this arrangement, right? Do this and you will live. Do this, break the covenant and you will die. And, it's, and then in the middle, you have the sacrificial system. Because when people realized they had sinned, and wanted to get right with God, they could bring a sacrifice, a burnt offering, a, a, a sin offering before God for their own individual sin. And then annually, there was the thing called Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, where the high priest went into the Holy of Holies in the temple, in the tabernacle, and offered a sacrifice on behalf of all the people, right? This is the old covenant, the old arrangement of how we relate to God through this covenant that God made. And this covenant, as good as it was, had a fatal flaw, right? You remember what it was? Us, humanity, we were the problem. God was always so very faithful, but the people were always breaking and always ruining uh, the covenant. And so there, it, it became very evident over time that this old covenant arrangement could never lead to true life, abiding life with God. It had to be replaced. And so along comes this new covenant promise. And we see this in Ezekiel 36 or Jeremiah 31, uh, these promises that God would one day bring a new covenant. Jeremiah 31 was quoted in just the previous chapter, if you remember, in chapter 8, this is what it said. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. I will put my laws on their minds. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me from the greatest to the least. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. And so here's the question. So we have the old here, this old arrangement, this old covenant, covenant, this old contracted relationship with God. We have a new one that's coming, and Jesus is going to bring it, right? But what is the mechanism that will release us from this old relationship, this old covenant, and usher in the new? You can't just stop making payments on your house or your car and just say, I don't want this contract anymore. No, 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 no. That's going to come back to haunt you, Right? Something has to happen to end the old and usher in the new. The question is, what is that? What is that? And of course, the, the, answer, the answer that's always the answer in church is Jesus. Oh, only half of you had that. So. <laughs> the answer is Jesus. It's always Jesus, right? 
You learn this in grade school. Jesus comes. Jesus is the answer to the resolution of the old way of things, the old relationship with God, the old covenant, to usher in the new. It is in the person of Jesus. In the language of Hebrews, uh, he is our great high priest. He's our high priest who is making communion between God and man, and he's the one who has made atonement for our sins, okay? So here you have this sort of, in my little diagram behind me on the screen, you have the cross that is bridging now this gap between the old covenant reality and the new that is being ushered in, okay? Are you with me so far? What I want to show you in this uh, passage that we're looking at today is that Jesus' atonement works in four dimensions, four dimensions. Uh, it goes, it works backwards, it works upward, works inward, and it works forward as well, okay? Four-dimensional atonement of Jesus, all right? So that's our outline for this morning. We're going to just jump in, and we're going to make all of this work, okay? Here we go. Here we go. First, backwards. The atonement of Jesus looks backward, and it is about redemption. It's about redemption, okay? Redemption. Look at verse 15 with me. Therefore, it says, he, Jesus, is the mediator of a new covenant. Okay, pause for just one moment. So Jesus is coming to inaugurate this whole new covenant, that, a whole new way of relating to God through who Jesus is, right? He's coming to inaugurate this. Now, look at the next phrase here. So that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Who are those who are called here? Who are the ones who are called into this new covenant relationship through Jesus? Well, remember, look back at chapter 8, verse 8. We saw this in the prophecy from uh, Jeremiah 31. It says that the new covenant, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Okay, now here's what's weird. They're the very people that broke the first one. Okay, so God is making a new covenant and calling into the new covenant the very people who trashed the first one, right? So the new house, the new renters, the people moving into the new covenant are the same ones who trashed the old apartment, okay? That's what's on their record. How on earth does this happen? How can covenant breakers move in to a new covenant reality? Look at the next phrase. Since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Hmm. So a death, look at it. A death has occurred that, that resolves and redeems from the past and is now ushering them into a new covenant reality. There's a death that has occurred. Who is it? It's a Sunday school answer. Who is it that died? Jesus. Jesus. Good. I'm going to get you by the end of this thing. We're going to We're going to have this memorized. Jesus died for sins to redeem from the old to usher into the new. Now, he's going to make a turn here in his logic, and it's a little fuzzy to us, but it makes sense once you understand the original languages. He's going to start talking about a will. And you say, what is that all about? Well, the word in in the Bible for covenant is the same word as testament, 
which is, which is why you have like Old Covenant, Old Testament. Old Testament is called the Old Testament because it's about the Old Covenant, okay? Your New Testament is about the New Covenant. That's why they have those labels, okay? Old Covenant, New Covenant, Old Testament, New Testament. Covenant, Testament, same thing. Same word for will. Same word for will. Covenant, Testament, will. We even use it this way. Last will and Testament. We even have this idea. So, so he's going to make a shift now from covenant to will, and, and we have to know that to follow his logic. Look at verse 16. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Now, I don't want you to get hung up here on all the cultural differences between first century Jewish wills and our present day. We have living wills and things like that. That's not the point. His point that he's trying to say here is that just as a will rises and falls with a death, so a covenant rises and falls with death as well. So in other words, the whole thing that triggers a will into power, into appropriate, like, you know, it's binding is when someone dies, right? And so the death triggers something within the will. In that same way, death triggers something within a covenant, okay? Which is why there's so much blood over all of these covenants. There's blood. You say, why is it such a bloody thing? Uh, Well, let's look at this. Verse 18. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. The first covenant, the one that Moses did, didn't come into being. It wasn't inaugurated without a whole bunch of blood all over the place. And he's going to talk about this for a minute. But this is so foreign to us. We have to kind of back up and say, what's going on here? To, in the Old Testament, in the ancient Near Eastern culture, when they were making covenants... They always use sacrifices or blood in order to inaugurate these covenants. It's sort of like like swearing with blood or something like that. In fact, if you think back to Genesis 15, when Abraham is making a covenant with God, do you remember this? Abraham divides the pieces of the animals and splits them apart and lays them on the ground, and then God walks through the pieces while, while Abraham takes a nap, if you remember the story. And you say, what's with all the animal carcasses put in in half? Well, the whole point was, I'm entering into a contract, and if I violate the terms of the contract, let it be to me as it was just done to these animals. Let me be torn apart if I violate the conditions of the covenant that I just pledged to. I'm swearing on my own death. Does it make sense? So to, and literally, they called it cutting a covenant. You cut a covenant by cutting and blood is spilt. And it's, it's a picture of what I'm promising, ultimately, my own death, my own blood spilt if I violate the terms of this binding covenant, okay? So this, this is what covenants are. And so that's what's happening, again, with Moses. When Moses writes this covenant, cuts this covenant with the people of Israel between God and man, there's blood all over the place. Look at verse 19. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of the calves and goats and with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God has commanded for you. So it's such a weird picture. You can go look it up in Exodus 24, and you can read about this scene. We're not going to go there right now. But literally, Moses writes down all the law 
that the people are to obey, he takes the blood and he sprinkles it on the book and then he goes around and sprinkles it on the people. Can you imagine being there that day and he's just like splashing, sprinkling blood all over you. You go, ah, yeah, it's a weird day. But what is the point? The whole point of this is that the covenant that Moses is now making between God and man will be enforced by blood. It's a picture of the penalty of breaking the covenant in the end. Does that make sense? So it's, I know it's weird. I know it's culturally different. But you're at least following the logic of it, okay? So, verse 21. In the same way, Moses sprinkled with blood both the tent, the tabernacle, the vessels used in worship, so the candle stand and the tables and the altar and the, all that stuff purified with blood. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. If you want to read more about all the rituals of cleansing with blood and stuff, you can go look at Leviticus 16 and the Day of Atonement and all the purification that was done there. But here's the point. Bottom line point. You can't make or break a covenant without blood. That's what he's saying. You can't make or break a covenant without blood. The reason there's blood all over these covenants is because if I break it, it's my own blood that will be spilled. It is, it, is a, it is a foretaste of what will happen if I, if I break the covenant. And now the history of Israel is what? Did they keep the covenant? Oh, you know. Did, did they keep it? No. They broke it again and again and again. Just a huge cycle of broken covenant. So someone has to die. That's the point. The covenant has been broken There's blood that needs to be spilt. Everyone is guilty. Everyone is a covenant breaker. How will we get out of this mess? Verse 15. A death has occurred that redeems them from the transmissions committed under the first covenant. And whose blood was spilt? Whose death was given? Jesus. You're getting there. Good. Paid in full, finally fully satisfied. Friends, do you realize what this means? It means that the sins of the old covenant would never come and haunt the people again. That Jesus had put an end to it. It was gone. It was finished forever. This is what this means. Jesus' atonement is backward facing. It's redemption. Amen? Amen. Secondly, it's upward looking. It's about purification. Purification. Look at verse 23. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. And just pause for a moment. This goes back to what we were talking about a few weeks ago about how the, the tabernacle and the temple were shadows, were imitations, were a replica of the cosmos. And so what happened is the priests did their ministry on earth and made atonement for the sins of the people was always a shadow pointing to the real cosmic atonement that needed to happen in heaven itself. If that's confusing to you, you can go back and listen to that sermon. It took us 40 minutes to figure all that out. I can't do it all now. But the point is, again, he's referring to this idea that Jesus has done in heaven what everything on earth was simply a dramatization of. It was 
an enactment, a parable of what really needed to happen in heaven. And Jesus has done in the cosmic temple what could never be done on earth. This is the picture. So Jesus, verse 24, Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands. That's the, you know, the earthly tabernacle temple, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. So here's the picture. Hebrews is saying that Jesus, after he died, was buried, rose again, ascended to the right hand of God the Father Almighty. That as he walked into the presence of God, he came bearing his own blood. And that he made atonement for our sins in the presence of the holiest place in the universe, in the presence of God himself. He made purification for our sins. And he intercedes for us. Now, why did he have to do that? Why did Jesus have to make cosmic atonement? Well, two things at least. One, our sin goes way further than we think. Our sin goes way further than we think. Every year at the Day of Atonement, the high priest had to go into the Holy of Holies and purify, make purification on the mercy seat. No human being had been in there. The last time somebody was in there was the high priest the year before. And yet it had to be purified. Why? Because sin gets into everything. And our sin on earth is more defiling in heaven than we realize. And Jesus has to make atonement for our sins, purify heaven itself. The second reason, I think, is you'll read, as you read your Bible, you'll find that Satan himself has access to the throne room of God. And he goes into the presence of God and thereby defiles it. And so Jesus has to purify heaven of all the defilements and then one day will come back and purify all of earth so that heaven and earth may be one Just like the high priest went into the holy place in the Day of Atonement and came out and purified everything, Jesus has gone into heaven and will come back and purify everything so that heaven and earth will one day be together again. This is what Jesus is doing. The main point, though, is this. Jesus purified heaven with his own blood, and he did that for you and for me. Jesus did that for you and for me. It says here, he was in the presence of God on our behalf. Friends, do you realize this this means Jesus has done everything to make us right with God? Everything. Nothing stands between you and me and God anymore because of what Jesus has done. We are covered. We are atoned. We are reconciled. We are welcome. We are loved. We belong with God in glory. And do you realize this? Heaven has no record of your sin anymore. It's been purified. Do you realize that? Heaven has no record of your sin. There's only one thing in heaven that reminds God of your sin. Do you know what it is? It is the nail scars that Jesus bears forever. And those scars do not cry out for your condemnation. They cry out that you are purified and cleansed and atoned and your life is paid for by the infinite blood of the Son of God. Amen. Amen? Heaven has no record of your sin anymore. His atonement is upward, it's purifying. Thirdly, it's inward and cleansing. 
It's inward and cleansing. Not only has Jesus made us right with God cosmically, he cleanses us inwardly. In verse uh, 14, in last week's sermon, it said that Jesus is purifying our consciences, right? This deep inner work that God is doing. He picks up the thread here in verse 25. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Sometimes I think we forget just how radical this is, friends. In the Old Testament, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest went in and he had to go in every year, year after year after year in a perpetual, endless cycle of sacrifice. And he had to keep the wheel turning and turning and turning or everything fell apart, right? And then Jesus comes along and makes a sacrifice and offers himself once for all time. This is radical, it took, it took the Jewish people a long time to get their heads around the reality that Jesus in himself was enough. And Jesus, as he says here, has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. It's like Robert Lowry wrote in that old hymn, What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No, no other fount I know. Say it with me. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Friends, do you realize in Jesus you're not just a little forgiven? You're not just a little forgiven. It's not like, you know, God's like, okay, I'll let you off the hook this time and we'll see how it goes. You know, it's a second chance, but, you know, fool me once. But do you really, that's not what this is. You are finally, fully forgiven and free. That Jesus stands over your life and declares, it is finished. To tell us thy, it is done. God looks at us in all of our brokenness and sin and says, cleansed by the blood of my precious son. Do you believe that? Jesus' atonement is inward, it is cleansing. Finally, it is forward and it is about mediation. Mediation. Verse 15, therefore he, Jesus, is the mediator of a new covenant. We're going all the way back up to the first verse, I'm sorry, for my poor directions there. Verse 15, therefore he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Just like you can't break a covenant without blood, you can't make a new covenant without blood either, right? The first covenant had all this blood that enacted and inaugurated it. Well, whose blood inaugurates the second one, the new covenant? Whose blood? Jesus. Jesus. Jesus' blood redeems from the old. Jesus' blood inaugurates 
the new, which is why Jesus says in Luke 22, verse 20, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you, right? He's inaugurating a brand new covenant in the sacrifice he's about to give. It's the same, it's almost the same language as what uh, uh, Moses said. This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. Do you remember that from Exodus? Um, this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. Now it is, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. So in the old covenant, it's about here's the rules and what you have to do to keep them. In the new covenant, is here I am and all that I've done to make you right with God. So that now we come through Jesus by grace, through faith in him alone. And he is the mediator between God and man. And here's what's amazing. Here's what's amazing. Jesus brings covenant-breaking, God-defying, sin-enjoying, Others wounding, self-destroying people like me and you. I hate to tell it to you, but you're, you're in this group too, right? Covenant-breaking, God-defying, sin-enjoying, others wounding, self-destroying people like me and brings me into relationship with God. Who would have thought? Have you ever sat down with a mediator? <laughs> you know, like solve a problem, work through something. Have you, anybody done that? What's a mediator? A mediator is a go-between between two people who can't figure out how to get along, right? That's what they're for. And they sit down and they say, okay, what do we need to do so we can stop fighting and so we can go forward, right? Do you realize that's exactly what Jesus has done? He sits down between God and us and he says, okay, what, what do I need to do here to make things right now and going forward? Like, what do we need to do? I'll do whatever it takes. You say, well, there's... There's a broken covenant here. And Jesus is like, okay, I got that. I'll redeem that. I'll pay the price. I can handle that. Well, there's cosmic defilement here. The whole universe has been polluted. Jesus is like, I can, I can do that. My blood will cleanse the whole universe. I, I got that. I've got a dirty conscience here. And Jesus says, okay, I can cleanse you deeper within than you could ever imagine. And tell you what, right now, today, and going forward, I'm going to inaugurate a brand new covenant in me through my death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. I will make a new covenant. I will stand in the gap, and it is all of me for all of you, and I will do this now and forever. And he looks at his father, and he says, okay, father, it's, it's my life for theirs. All of me for all of them. All their sin, I'll take it on myself. And all my righteousness, I'll give it to them. Everything I am for all that they are. I want them to live and not die. And so I'll cover their sin. And not only will I cover their sin here and now, one day I'll come back and I'll bring them home. I'll save them finally, fully, and forever in my presence. Verse 27, and just as it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are regularly waiting for him. (laughs) But not only does Jesus mediate our here and now and forgive us, cover our sins in the here and now, he mediates our future all the way to the time when he will come 
back and take us to be with him forever. So that what God began when he justified us freely by his grace and what he continues as he sanctifies us, making us holy before the Lord, will one day consummate in our glorification when we are with God forever in glory. And so we are made right through this new covenant relationship with God that starts now and is comprehensive in enveloping every day in our future. As, as 1 John 3 verse 2 says, one day we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. As the Apostle Paul puts it in, in uh, Philippians 1 verse 6, I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Friends, do you realize everything in your life, you, we will mess everything up, Yes? We will mess it up again and again, but do you realize everything, everything, not just now, but every day in the future and into eternity has been brokered through the new covenant in Jesus, and he covers it all. We are loved and kept through the end of time, which is why the grand conclusion to the story in Revelation 21 is that this gap between God and humanity finally closes. And now the dwelling of God is with men. And he will be their God and they will be his people. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or crying or mourning or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. And the, the one seated on the throne says, Behold, I am making everything new. Amen? Amen. This is where it's going. And it's all because of the blood of Jesus. Thank you. 
no greater love. Grace, how can it be that in my sin basic, but right? Jesus has redeemed our past. He's re- Friends, he's redeemed your past. Do you realize because of Jesus, your sins will never haunt you? Not before God. That he's made purification before God, that heaven has no record of your sin anymore. That Jesus can cleanse you deep within in deeper ways than you could ever imagine. And he'll mediate your present and your future in this new covenant. He's got you. So no matter what you've done, no matter what big a mess you made, no no matter how dirty you feel, and no matter how weak you are walking into the future, Jesus is enough. And some of, some of us are sitting here, and maybe for the first time you've heard this, you're like, I, I, this is radical new stuff for me. And I don't even know how to grab a hold of it. How do I grab a hold of it? 
When we grab a hold of Jesus, it's, it's as simple as A, B, C. We, a, we admit that we're sinners far from God. B, we believe that Jesus has done everything to make us right with him, with God the Father through his death, burial, resurrection, all that he did for us. And C, we commit our lives to him. Be my Savior, be my Lord. I want to follow you. And so if you're here today and you're just, you're on the fence, you're trying to figure this out, if, can I just encourage you? If you will just pray and just say, I admit I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus, you've done everything to make me right with God. And I want to commit my life to you. I'm telling you, there's a whole new life that can be yours. But a lot of us have this problem. We prayed that prayer. We know those things. The theology is clear in our minds. But the operating system of our hearts doesn't live in the reality of what we believe up here. This is, what most, this is where most of us have this problem. It's like those vending machines where you used to, you know, you'd put the money in the slot, you know, and it gets hung up and it doesn't drop all the way down. You know, so you put the money in, which is good. You know, you got the money in the thing, but, it's, but it hasn't dropped. It hasn't gone all the way down. And so you're banging on the machine and rocking it, you know. It's like, it's like there's a moment where the penny drops as the Brits would say, (laughs) where the penny drops, the quarter goes down, and it activates in real life what we've always believed up here. Do you know what that penny drop moment is? It's what that lady told me after a couple months of journeying along. She said, Philip, I'm starting to dare to believe that it's real. I'm starting to dare to believe that it's true. That what the Bible says, what Jesus promises, all of this stuff is actually real to me. And that's when the penny dropped. And can I just encourage those of us, we're gathering here, would you just sit with these four things this week, write them down, think about it, pray about it, process it, but would you dare to actually believe that these things are actually true? and that Jesus really is enough. And you are far more loved than you ever dared realize. Even though you're far more sinful than you ever dared dream, right? Because of what Jesus has done, you're far more loved than you ever dared. Would you dare to believe that it's real? Would you pray with me? Father, we struggle to believe. We believe, but help our unbelief. It's one thing to have the right thoughts, to know what is real. It's another thing to live it, to feel it, to trust it. Father, help us to take this risk. Father, this kind of love seems so too good to be true sometimes. Nobody's loved us like this. No other part of the world is like this. But you promise it's real it's true and it's all happening in Jesus help us to grab a hold of it to live deeply in it and allow it to change us from the inside out we give you all that we are we ask you to change us even now in Jesus name amen 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 I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward we're going to take our offering and continue to worship together as we give back to the Lord. So let's give with joy.